Today, we want to look at stand down. In our series, How to Fight for Justice. So if we look at the first question that we have on page 97. Who are some of your favorite heroines or women heroes? 97. Who are some of your favorite, you may have many, but who are some of your favorite heroines? Um, Elizabeth Elliot, she has gone to be with the Lord now, but she um, always uh, spoke very clearly um, the truth of God to whatever audience she was with, and she um, had a hearing with young people as well as older people and everybody in between. And I appreciated what she wrote as well as what she spoke. Yeah, she's a valiant woman. <laughs> That's a good word. Yeah, very valiant woman. Mother Sarai to me. Okay. And Stephen Alfred. And who? Stephen Alfred. Stephen Alfred. <laughs> okay. Anyone else? My aunt, she was a pastor wife, and she was a person, no matter what you say or do, she always was giving encouraging words, and if anybody, you know, somebody talked on the Bible, she always would say, I leave it to the Lord. Mm. She never raised her voice on the Bible. <laughs> okay. Good. Anyone else? How about Mother Teresa? Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa, okay. All right. Sister Violet Leash, all right, okay. All right, uh, whenever uh, you see someone raise a white flag, uh, a stick with a white flag on it, what does that indicate? Surrender. Surrender, right? So what does a white flag typically, typically indicate uh, in the life of a believer. How does this description relate to Christian service or surrender to God? Have you ever raised a, waved a white flag to God in your circumstance? That's the challenge for us today. Okay, to fully surrender our lives to God and His leading in our lives. Let's look at um, Bible meets life. Page 98. Someone want to read that, please? We typically associate heroism with grand and glorious acts. Such actions often come with great risk. Heroic acts also can occur with little outward notice, but that certainly makes them no less grand and glorious. Take the heroes of the International Justice Mission, UM. Their goal is to rescue boys and girls who are enslaved by trafficking. They employ thousands of lawyers who work in dangerous parts of the world to pry vulnerable children 
from the hands of their masters. Yet, before they pick up a phone, write a legal brief, or ride along with local police to apprehend traffickers, they pray. UM also takes their staff on spiritual retreats four times a year, and they gather in Washington, D.C. for a global prayer gathering. With so much work to do, why don't they just jump into the fray? UM knows that biblical justice begins not with actions or words, but in lament and worship before God. People often look to Esther as a great heroine in scripture, and she was. But before she and Mordecai stepped into a risky, life-threatening moment of justice, they did something just as heroic. They sought God in prayer. Okay, that looks like UM. IJM. Sorry, everybody. It really looks like UM. Yeah, it looks like UM. The I is so close to the J. It looks like a U. Yeah, it is IJM. I have my glasses on. Yeah. So, what's the point? Okay, so it's no problem. It shouldn't be an issue for us waving a white flag to God when the time is right, right? Because surrendering to God leads to greater things. Uh, when an enemy surrenders, it don't necessarily lead to greater things, right? It leads to confinement, restriction, punishment. But when we wave the white flag to God, we are surrendering our lives to his leading and the scripture reminds us that God always has our best interests at heart. We may not see it at the time, but it'll eventually come. And if it doesn't come on this side, it'll come in the sweet by and by. But you can count on it because that's what God has in mind for us. Okay, let's look at um, the first passage that we have is uh, Esther chapter 4. Uh, verses 1 to 3, but before we read that, let's consider the events or the backdrop or the setting. The events in, es in, in, the events in Esther occurred during the reign of King Ahasuerus, also known as Xerxes. After the king selected Esther as his queen, new queen, she followed Mordecai's counsel and did not reveal her ethnic identity. Meanwhile, Ahasuerus promoted Haman. This Agagite, however, became enraged because Mordecai refused to bow to him when everybody else was doing so. And so Haman plotted to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews. Haman succeeded in getting the king to issue an order to that effect. That's the backdrop of what we're going to be looking at in these verses. So let's look at the first passage uh, that we have before us. So. Esther 4, 1 to 3. One Go ahead. When Mordecai heard all that had occurred, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, went into the middle of the city and cried loudly and bitterly. 
He went only as far as the king's gate, since the law prohibited anyone wearing sackcloth from entering the king's gate. There was great mourning among the Jewish people in every province where the king's command and edict came. They fasted, wept, and lamented, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Okay. King uh, uh, Ahasuerus approved and funded Amon's ruthless plan to thoroughly eliminate the Jewish people and plunder their possessions. See 3, 10 to 11. Now let's look at those verses. The king agreed confirming his decision by removing his signet ring from his finger and giving it to him, son of Amadatha. <laughs> just give it. <laughs> of the Jews, the king said, the money and the people are both yours and to do with as you see fit. Okay, continue reading. Okay. The edict was published throughout Persia, sentencing all Jewish Jews to annihilation on a single day. This was all this was by all accounts an irreversible decision that would affect thousands of innocent people. It was truly an unjust law. When Mordecai learned of the edict, the first response his first response was deep and vocal lament. The original Jew, Jew, uh, Hebrew language described Mordecai's crying out as a deep and guttural wailing. As a part of his Greek Mordecai also tore his clothes and wore sackcloth and ashes. In the ancient in the ancient Near East, this was common practice for mourning. Throughout scripture, when individuals or groups lamented, their cries of deep distress were directed to God. We can reasonably assume that Mordecai's actions also reflected a deep call to God. His grief went deep into his heart and soul. Mordecai's grief was profound, keeping him from his duties inside the king's gate. That would have been a violation of a palace decorum. His lament and dress were known, though, and word of his action reached the queen. See four to four. And the queen granted him the anguish, and she sent garments to clothe Mordecai, that he might remove the sword from him, but he did not appear. He did not accept that. Okay, so he feels. Mordecai wasn't the only one in mourning. The Jewish population throughout the Persian Empire received the news and lamented their fate. Surely their public actions of weeping, fasting, and wearing sackcloth and ashes disrupted daily life in the empire. We can only wonder how others might have. Next page. Might have viewed this behavior. Were they stirring up the impeding room that faced their neighbors? Did any of them lament with the Jews? Lamenting, calling to God in deep distress, should be an important part of our own reaction to injustice. Expressing such grief is neither non-spiritual nor reflective of a lack of faith. 
far from it. Prophets like Jeremiah and Habakkuk, Habakkuk? Habakkuk yeah. yeah, lamented the spiritual state of Israel, and Jesus wept over Jerusalem. See, nineteen forty-one to forty-four. So I got those verses. Well, he said to them, "How is it that they say that Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms." The Lord said to my Lord, sit on my right hand, and to my right hand is a footstool, your feet, for your feet. Therefore David calls him Lord, and how is it? He is his son. God calls us to... Therefore, David calls him Lord, and how is it he is his son? That's Luke? That's Luke? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Okay. God calls us to step into the experiences of, of, of those who suffer and weep with those who weep. If we don't see if we don't see injustice, we won't grieve over it. And if we don't grieve over injustice, we won't act on it. We must ask the Lord to open our eyes to the vulnerable so that we might grieve and pray and then act. When we do this, we show the world a glimpse of our Savior, who entered into our injustice, who weeps with us in our suffering, and who acted on our behalf. Okay. A couple of things we uh, note uh, in terms of the history of the Jews with regards to grieving, like uh, Mordecai did. Verse 1 says, when Mordecai learned about all that had been done, he tore his clothes and put on burlap and ashes and went out into the city crying with loud and bitter, with a loud and bitter wail. Uh, you know, God wants his people to grieve injustice and he wants us to call to him in doing so. But does that always happen? No, no. No, it doesn't. But here we see uh, Mordecai doing that openly and unashamedly um, and so he wants his people to call it to him. Haman had succeeded in receiving from the king the money and the personnel that was needed to carry out his evil plot, to put his evil plot in motion. And in Esther chapter 3 in verse 11 we know that the king said we know what the king said. What did he say? He said, the money and the people are both yours to do with as you see fit. That's carte blanche, isn't it? You do whatever you want with them. In contrast to God's concern over injustice, Haman's actions reflect unconcern regarding the tragedy that was about to occur in the kingdom. Meanwhile, the events taking place disturbed and perplexed the inhabitants of Susa. The city's populace demonstrated greater concern over the proposed injustice than the city leaders did. The city leaders didn't care. They didn't check. The inhabitants were more concerned about these orders uh, that the king gave to Haman to carry out this plot. Mordecai learned all that he had done and um, Mordecai didn't learn it uh, like everybody else did. He had apparently 
more information because of his responsibilities at the King's Gate. Uh, so he got more than what the official notice gave to the general populace. And so we can understand why he acted the way he did. In, in, in verse 7 of chapter 4, Mordecai told him the whole story, where it says, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. And so Mordecai's actions signified deep sorrow and humiliation. And as we have read, people commonly express grief in the Old Testament in three basic ways, as we see uh, mentioned here in the text. Uh, one, by tearing their clothes. Remember, uh, Job did that. Um, uh, by wearing sackcloth and ashes. Job did that too, right? And by wailing with deep emotion. So the first thing was a tearing of the clothes provided a method of emotional release. People today do something a little differently. You know, um, uh, second, wearing sackcloth and ashes indicated mourning or grieving. And sackcloth garments made of coarse materials such as goat or camel hair may have been shaped like, you, you know, the flower bags that we used to use in the good old days. You know, people used to talk about wearing flower bags, right? Where they take the flower bag and they put a hole in the top and two holes in the side and they put it over themselves. So they wore the, the, the burlap in, in a similar fashion, uh, soccer with a, their head and shoulders. Uh, uh, it, sometimes it consisted of a, also of a loincloth, but because the, the, the material was so coarse uh, and harsh, it, uh, it, it caused chafing, and so it chafed their flesh, and, uh, and that was a part of the grieving process, to suffer, to feel uh, pain. And so they also typically, thirdly, sprinkled ashes on their heads, and that demonstrated uh, that their grief was reflected in both discomfort from the effect of the camels here, or the, 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 the cloth, the material they were wearing, as well as the deep humiliation that they experienced. And so this wasn't a light thing, or something that you brush off. Uh, here we had deep sorrow. In the first uh, paragraph, we need as King Ahasuerus proved, approved and funded Haman's ruthless plan to thoroughly eliminate the Jewish people and plunder their possessions. The edict was published throughout Persia, sentencing all Jews to annihilation in one single day. Imagine what that must have, what would have been like. Everybody wiped out in one day. This is by all accounts an irre irreversible decision that would affect thousands of innocent people. It was an unjust law, clearly. Question number two. When was the last time you were moved by mourning over an injustice? Something that happened and you grieved along with everybody else because it was so unjust what had, what had happened to a particular individual or probably even a group of individuals. Can you remember remember an incident like that? Um, that little boy who got, he was at home doing homework and then he got shot by a bullet. Yes, in yeah, in Baintown, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, that shocked the nation. I mean, yeah. you know, people often talk about children out doing mischief and whatever. But this boy was sitting in his house doing his homework, and a bullet, straight bullet, came through the wall, struck him, and killed him. Yeah, that I think that one was affected a lot of people. Okay, we are we are grieved. We are to grieve injustice and to call out to God. In the next verses, we will see how we are to look at God's hand in where he has placed us. So let's look at the next uh, verse, uh, verses 10 to 14. This is, this is both to Ashitashan commanded him to tell Mordecai all the royal officials and the people of the royal province know that one law applies to every man or woman who approaches the king in the inner courtyard and who has not been summoned to death penalty unless the king extends to golden scepter. Allowing that person to live, I have not been summoned to appear before the king for the last 30 days. As the response was reported to Mordecai, Mordecai told the messenger to the Esther, don't think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews because you are in the king's palace. If you keep silent as at this time, release and relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place. But you and your father's family will be destroyed. Who knows? Who knows perhaps who have come to your royal position for such a time as this? Okay, let's look at the paragraphs here now. Mordecai cries against the impending justice against the Jewish people or Mordecai's cries against the impending injustice against the Jewish people did not go unheard. Mordecai sent a copy of Haman's edict with Esther's servant so that he could explain the situation to her and tell her to go and plead with the king on the Jews' behalf. After seeing the edict, Esther sent a servant to communicate with Mordecai that even though she was the queen, her power to act was limited. This was Ahasuerus' kingdom, and he had total power. Esther could die if she went before the king, but Mordecai wanted Esther to understand the reality that of what faced the Jewish people, her people. To be silent in the face of this injustice would not be enough to save Esther's life. In Haman's genocide, if Haman's genocide happened, Esther's heritage would be discovered and she would not be spared. Mordecai ended with a strong appeal that alluded to the province of God, the providence of God. Who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this? This one statement reminded Esther of the unlikely path she had been on and the potential power she held in her hands. Each of us might, must make a choice whether to seize the day, God, or not. Esther had just such a pivotal decision. Everything she had experienced in her life would come down to this one singular choice. Few, if any of us, would face a choice like Esther faced. But 
we are called to count the cost of our lives. Someone read Luke chapter 14, verse 26 to 33. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if, it, for if he makes the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to die and was not able to finish. Well, suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able, able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him and 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Okay. Thank you. Injustice is all around us. We, like Esther, have come to where we are for such a time as this. Couple of thoughts here, uh, main points. Mordecai's cries against the impending injustice against the Jewish people did not go unheard. Like any cries of injustice anywhere in the world, they never go on earth. People always rise up. Uh, Mordecai sent a copy of Haman's edict with Esther's servant so that he could explain the situation to her and tell her to go and plead with the king on the Jews' behalf. And we have that happening today as well. And the second point is, after seeing the edict, Esther sent her servant to communicate with Mordecai that even though she was a queen, her power to act was limited. She knew her place in the kingdom. She knew what she was uh, um, expected to do and what she couldn't do. And she knew what would put her life in jeopardy if she did it. And so she clearly communicated that. And then the third point is, Mordecai ended with a strong appeal that alluded to the providence of God. Who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this? This one statement reminded Esther of the unlikely path she had been on and the potential power she had in her hands. Sometimes we never know the power that we have until we act in the face of injustice. And so Esther was reminded of that. And, uh, and we, we know what her response is, right? We'll see that as we move on. Question number three. What's your reaction to the exchange between Mordecai and Esther? What do you think about that exchange? I think with that exchange right there, at that moment, that was between Mordecai, her uncle, which is uncle, and Esther, and God. That was the plan right in there. Okay. You notice the king didn't do it. He sanctioned the, the death penalty. He gave it up. Mm -hmm. that, that it could have happened. But we see God intervene right in their conversation. That, okay. You know, mm -hmm. peace, you know, they will be spared. Okay. Anybody else? Your reaction to the exchange between Mordecai and Esther? Desperation. Desperation on whose part? Um, Mordecai is like, please do something. Mm -hmm. Okay. Obligation. Mm -hmm. Obligation. Obligation. Okay. Anyone else? It was a so, necessary exchange. 
It was a necessary exchange, okay. Uh, Mordecai said, you, you, do you realize what you, where you are and what you can do? Okay, and so the fact that maybe she was put there, like I said, mm-hmm. you put there for this reason to help everyone, all, all the Jewish people. All right, you so be there otherwise, if you didn't need God placed you there so that you could do this thing. Mm-hmm. So, but I think um, she was perfectly all right, but she didn't realize how much power she had. It's just like that's this Christian, we don't realize how much power we have behind us. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's true. Anyone else? Question number four. What are some fears that keep us from doing the right thing? Victimization. Victimization. All right. Big word. But it's very real, right? Yes. Yeah. People may lose their jobs. They turn their attention to you now. Yeah, they they, they take the focus off whatever the issue was and they turn it on you. Okay. Alternate question. How have you been uh, grateful? When have you been grateful for the critique of a trusted friend? When was the last time you were grateful for the critical position that a trusted friend of yours took in a situation that you were in? Do you remember any situation like that? Yeah, we see with Mordecai and Esther. Mordecai was critical of Esther's position in the kingdom, and he expressed it to her, and it opened her eyes, didn't it? I was grateful when I got promoted. <laughs> okay. But when was the last time you were grateful for a criticism from a best friend? Something you never expected, but it happened. And you know, normally when people are criticized, they don't feel good about it, right? Criticism is not necessarily good all the time, right? But when was the last time you were criticized and you would say, well, you know, I, I appreciate that. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you one, when I was 18 years old, so it was a while back. Mm-hmm. But uh, a man in my home church in Florida came to me one time. I was, you know, I was with my grandmother and, and aunt at the time because parents were missionaries and so I was there in Florida going to school. Mm-hmm. But he came to me and he was one of the deacons in the church and he just gave me some advice. Uh, he wasn't my best friend that day. Mm. <laughs> uh, was I can tell you that honestly I was, mm. I was mad at him. I, mean, I was just mad at him. I thought, you know, mind your own business. But it was right, and I knew it was. That's, that's what made me even matter. I mm-hmm. knew he was right, but um, I didn't take it too well that day, but I did take heed to it. Mm-hmm. I did listen to it. But it, what, it took me a few years, but I thank that man uh, later on for telling me that. And I just again shared, he's now 86, I think years old, he's 86. And he's still living. Yes, he okay. is. And I saw his wife a couple of weeks ago when we were in Florida. I was telling her about it. I said, so remind him. I'm still am grateful for that. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So it's always good to get criticism. It's not always a bad thing. It's, a, it's, a, it's an eye-opener sometimes. It wakes us up. And as Pastor Jay said, he appreciated that. Way down the line, you would appreciate it. And, and so this is what Esther found us in the position that Esther found herself in. Okay, let's look at the 
Last passage we have, this time is rapidly, time is gone, really. Last verse, uh, verses 15 to 16. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go and assemble all the Jews you can be, who can be found in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my female servants will also fast the same way. After that, I will go to the king, even if it is against the law. If I perish, I perish. Okay, continue reading. When Mordecai's appeal reached Esther, she could have could have selfishly remained silent and hung on to her position, rationalizing that she could possibly avoid death herself. Yet even though she was settled into the palace and married to the king, Esther was still at the heart of the matter, a daughter of Israel. Before she acted, Esther called for a fast by as many Jews as Mordecai could assemble and tell quickly. People typically fasted for one day, and then only during the day. But Esther asked for an unusual, long, unbroken three-day fast. Although the scripture does not mention that the people prayed, the purpose of the fasting was to seek God in prevailing prayer. Esther would not take action and go before the king until the people first went before God. And then Esther left the matter in God's hands. If we perish, if I perish, I perish. She was under no illusion that God would allow her to enter the God's presence unharmed. She didn't subscribe to the false idea that we can manipulate God's hand by the fervency of our faith, like the three brave young men who faced Nebuchadnezzar's furnace. <clears throat> Esther trusted in God's ability to deliver, but ultimately trusted his sovereign will. Today, many Christians around the world face imprisonment, torture, and even death for being followers of Christ. Few of any of us may ever have to face the choice of denying Christ or dying, but we are all called to give up our lives, die to ourselves, and follow Jesus. We do not live for ourselves, we live for Christ, and we should stand up for those who have no voice. Let's bring the good news of God's kingdom to the world by proclaiming the gospel and the witness of our acts of mercy. Okay. Good. Couple of points there. There's three points. Uh, even though Esther was settled into the palace and married to the king, she was still at the heart of the matter a daughter of Israel. So she knew who she was. And then the third one was Esther would not take action and go before the king until the people first went before God in prayer and fasting. All right, so she decided she would commit things to the Lord and allow the Lord to intervene. And then the third point was Esther trusted in God's ability to deliver, to deliver on his sovereign will. Esther re reminded herself and the people of God's sovereignty in this whole situation, that God is in control and his will will be accomplished. Last question. What can we learn from Esther about following Christ? Faithful. Faithfulness. Okay. She has total faith that God would do what she expected him to do. Okay. She trusted that God would do 
Wood was right. God is a just God, right? And then do everything regardless of what might happen to you too. Okay. Do even though you may have a problem. Okay. And whatever, however the chips however fall. It turns out. Right. Anyone else? Someone else for you? Okay, if you're following, follow, don't go ahead, as Dave says. Okay. Once you're doing the right thing, she knew she was doing the right thing. She, she made up her mind if it costs her life, she so knows. Yeah, so, so be it. Yeah. Okay. Does the brand say something? Pray. Pray, okay. So she depended on the power of prayer and fasting, and she set an example, right? Okay, let's look then at how we're going to flesh this out. Uh, I encourage you to do that activity there. Uh, it says, list the important actions Mordecai took in the order of priority. So I encourage you to do that exercise. Uh, and then the, the question is, why did you list them in this order? Consider a problem you are dealing with in your own, with or may in the future. How does evaluating Esther and Mordecai's method of dealing with this situation help? That's a good exercise. I encourage you to do that if you haven't done so already. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, quote, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Remember that. Okay, it may not happen in, in your life, but that's the call. Okay, how do we flesh this out? Uh, go over to page 104. Live it out. As you surrender to God, consider what he is leading you to do for such a time as this. Choose one of the following applications. Again, just one. The first one, read. Learn about the needs of vulnerable people, of a vulnerable people group in your community or someplace around the world. Websites like imb.org, compassion.com, or igm.org can give you insight into the plight of others. Let the weight of the injustices sink in and impact you. You know, in this part of the world, we can't begin to imagine what uh, other believers are going through in other parts of the world. So it'd be good to get some insights with those websites and see what's going on. And then pray. Ask the Lord not only to open your eyes to specific injustices, but to move your heart to pray on behalf of the vulnerable. Pray consistently and pray with fervency. I get an email called, I Commit to Pray, uh, Voice of the Martyrs, and it has these uh, stories and situations of individuals around the world who are going through different situations. And it's a good reminder of how we can pray for different people and what they're going through. And some of the stories are horrific in terms of what believers are going through. Uh, and it, uh, it's a good uh, instrument to help us to learn to pray for others. And so pray. And then act. Consider ways you and your group can speak out on behalf of the vulnerable. You can also partner with organizations meeting a need, using both your time and resources to get involved. Care Kitchen, one of them here. Um, Operation In As Much, another one uh, that some of you are involved in. And that's a good way of carrying out this third one of acting. So you got three choices there. You can choose one, you can read, 
find out what's going on with other people around the world and how they're suffering, uh, we can pray and we can act. There are many kinds of heroes in this world, but none who make us significant, none who make as significant an impact eternally as those who act in partnership with God. Before acting, be sure to get down on your knees in prayer. And Esther was an example of that. Before they move forward, she asked people to not only pray, but to fast. Amen? Mm -hmm.